If you would please stand with me at the reading of God's Word. I'm not going to read the entire passage, but I will read the beginning. And then we'll pick up at various points in the sermon for the rest of the passage. Acts 23, starting in verse 12. This is the Word of the Lord Jesus Christ to us as a congregation this morning. Verse 12. When it was day... The Jews made a plot and bound themselves by an oath neither to eat nor drink till they had killed Paul. There were more than 40 who made this conspiracy. They went to the chief priests and the elders and said, we have strictly bound ourselves by an oath to taste no food till we have killed Paul. Now, therefore, along with the council, give notice to the tribune to bring Paul down to you as though you were going to determine his case more exactly. And we are ready to kill him before he comes near. Now, the son of Paul's sister heard of their ambush. So he went and entered the barracks and told Paul. Paul called one of the centurions and said, take this young man to the tribune. That's the officer in charge there in Jerusalem. For he has something to tell him. So he took him and brought this nephew to the tribune and said, Paul the prisoner called me and asked me to to bring this young man to you as he has something to say to you. The tribune took him by the hand and going aside, asked him privately, what is this? that you have to tell me. And he said, the Jews have agreed to ask you to bring Paul down to the council tomorrow as though they were going to inquire something more closely about him. But do not be persuaded by them. For more than 40 of their men are lying in ambush for him and have bound themselves by an oath neither to eat nor drink till they have killed him. And now they are ready, waiting for your consent. So the tribune dismissed the young man charging him. Tell no one that you have informed me of these things. Then he called two of the centurions and said, get ready 200 soldiers with 70 horsemen and 200 spearmen to go as far as Caesarea at the third hour of the night. Also provide provide mounts for Paul to ride and bring him safely to Felix, the governor. That's where we'll finish the reading this morning. You may be seated. The title of the sermon is Can't Stop the Spread. Can't Stop the Spread. It's true, I've been uh, in in Chicago for several weeks uh, training and preaching. I don't want you to think that I've come back here from that liberal city and they've brainwashed me with this message. You can't stop the spread. I'm not talking about the Delta variant. When I say that, I'm not, I'm not trying to argue that no matter what we do to stop the spread, that travel restrictions can't stop it, shutdowns or even mandated Fauci ouchies won't stop the spread of the virus. I'm not saying we can't 
stop that spread. Because no matter what we do, behind the scenes, there's this power that we don't really know about. And it's, and it's going to overpower any and every attempt to stop the spread of COVID. It's not what I've come this morning to talk to you about. But that idea, that may help you understand what's going on in the last chapters of the book of Acts. Paul is preaching Jesus as the Savior of the world. And and the Jewish people are doing everything they can to stop the spread of this message. But God has already told us throughout the book of Acts in several places, it says things like this. It, it, It speaks about the word of the gospel like it's this blessed bacteria. And it says, the word of the Lord was spreading throughout all the known world. See, behind the scenes, whenever the Jews are trying to stop the spread of Paul's message, behind the scenes, there is someone. You can see him there. Chapter 23, look, look right before our passage Began, verse 11, the following night, the Lord Jesus stood by Paul while he's facing all of the the conspiracies of the Jews to stop the spread of the message. Jesus is standing by him and look at, listen to what he says. Take courage for as you have testified to the facts about me in Jerusalem, listen, so you must testify also in Rome. So, all I'm here to tell you this morning is you can't stop the spread. No one can stop the spread. Because God is too strong for anyone to stop His Word. That's the sermon in a sentence. God is too strong for anyone to stop His Word from spreading. I don't know where each one of you are in your thoughts about a God who we can't see, a God who's at work behind the scenes. Maybe you're someone who struggles to believe anything that you can't see. So when I say God's too strong for anyone to stop His Word, you're filled with doubts immediately. But you're here this morning. And I'm preaching His Word this morning. Would you consider God got you here to hear His Word? Every single one of us needs to consider this morning. If this is true, that God is too strong for anyone to stop His Word. Then what role should God's Word play in your every single day? Point number one comes in chapter 23. And that is, violent men can't stop the spread. Violent men 
can't stop the spread. Paul is in Roman custody. When we come to our passage, there's been this uproar in Jerusalem, and the Roman authorities don't like uproars in the cities that they're ruling over. And so Paul's in custody. The, The Romans know at least this much that the Jews hate him. But they're trying to find out, especially this man, the tribune, tribune Lysias. He is trying to find out why it is that the Jews hate him so. And none of their accusations is really adding up for the tribune. It doesn't make sense why they want to kill him. And meanwhile, while Paul's in custody and the tribune's trying to figure this out, there are these 40 men who come along with the Jews. And they make so great a vow We will not eat anything and we will not drink anything until Paul is dead. I want you to feel the drama of this. It's just one man who's in chains. And now he's up against 40 men. It's not just 40 men. It's it's 40 men who are really committed. They're so committed to ending his life that they won't sustain their life until it's done. They won't take any food. They won't take any drink. They're that committed to making sure he's dead. And then these violent men get so-called holy men. They go to the the council, the Sanhedrin, where the high priest Ananias is, and all the leaders of the people of Israel, and they are able to even convince the holy men to agree to to play along with their plot to ambush Paul. If if the tribune gives permission for Paul to be taken to this Jewish council, he's not going to make it there. These men are going to kill him before he gets there. Who could possibly stop such committed conspirators? And look who God uses in verse 16. It's this Teeny bopper nephew, this young teenager of Paul, Paul's nephew, who, who ends up getting in front of the tribune and, and then all of a sudden, it's not 40 versus 1, it's 470 of, of the Roman soldiers protecting Paul against these 40. The world's greatest army is put into, into motion here to get Paul out of Jerusalem safely. I want to tell you, in light of what we're seeing in the book of Acts, that there is someone behind the boy that God wants you to see. There's someone behind this tribune. There's someone behind the one who has all this military force to keep Paul safe from falling into the hands of murderers in Jerusalem. That's why verse 11 then leads to this story. It is Jesus Himself who is not dead. And even though he's standing in heaven, he is making his power known on earth. You may sometimes wonder, what is it that Jesus is doing now? I mean, he did such a good job in his, in his life and his work is, is a, is a success. What is he doing now? I, I think he's probably not fishing with one of your uncles. The way we sometimes talk about it, he's up there just fishing with Jesus. I don't think so. I think we're learning what Jesus is doing now from this passage. Here, He is committed to getting His preacher to Rome. 
the Jews are committed to killing Paul. And Jesus says, I can use that. Who is this king who uses plots to murder his preacher to move his preacher exactly where he wants him to go? That's what Jesus is doing. It's only when this tribune hears of the plot to kill Paul that he responds to these violent men by transferring Paul up the ranks to Roman officials. He sends them over to this governor, Felix. All the while carrying out exactly what Jesus announced Jesus wanted Paul to do. Jesus uses the circumstances of death threats. Jesus uses the circumstances of prison to spread his word. Christian, I I wonder what Jesus might want to do with your hard circumstances. What might be the purpose for them? What might he be doing with the things in your life that you wouldn't choose? If Jesus wants Paul to preach in Rome, it doesn't matter if 40,000 men try to stop him. He ain't dying in Jerusalem. Can't stop the spread. God is too strong for anyone to stop His Word. If you're here and and you don't follow the Lord Jesus as your Savior and commander of all of your life, if you're not someone who gives much thought to God on a day-to-day basis, I wonder what this idea of an almighty God who can't be stopped. I wonder if that makes you uncomfortable. Well, look at what He's doing with all His power. He won't let anyone stand in His way of what? Of getting His message of salvation to sinners. Of getting a message of love to people who do not love Him. Does that change the way that you think about an almighty God and how He would use His power? He is orchestrating choices and circumstances to offer life to people who only deserve death from Him. This is the true God. And if you are someone who does follow Him, I want you to think back to how this was true for you. No one stopped God from getting His Word to you. You had someone speak the truth of the Gospel to you. And when when you think about this passage this afternoon, you should think about that. And you should thank Him. And you should talk to others about how faithful He was to make sure you heard His Word. Now, God's too strong for anyone to stop His Word. That doesn't mean that those who get God's Word out 
won't face danger doing it. Paul's facing it. And Paul's not sitting there demanding that Jesus keep him alive. In fact, whenever whenever he's about to die in the hands of the Romans, this is what he says. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed. But not by keeping me alive. The Lord will bring me safely into His heavenly kingdom. That is Paul's hope. Not to stay alive forever to keep on preaching. He ultimately wants to be with Christ in heaven. And so he'll face all the danger between now and then. Violent men can't stop the spread. But secondly, we see in chapter 24, lying men can't stop the spread. Lying men can't stop the spread. Look in chapter 24, I'll start in verse 1. And after five days, the high priest Ananias came down. Now now Paul is in Caesarea in the hands of Governor Felix. After five days, the high priest Ananias came down from Jerusalem with some elders and a spokesman, one Tertullus. They laid before the governor their case against Paul, and when he had been summoned, Tertullus began to accuse him, saying, and I'm about to read this in a certain way, and I'm doing it on purpose. Tertullus stands up before the governor and he says, Since through you we enjoy much peace, and since by your foresight, most excellent Felix, reforms are being made for this nation. In every way and everywhere, we accept this with all gratitude. But to detain you no further, I beg in your kindness to hear us briefly. For we have found this man a plague, one who stirs up riots among all the Jews throughout the world, and as a ringleader of the sect of the Nazarenes. He even tried to profane the temple, but we seized him. By examining him yourself, you will be able to find out from him about everything of which we accuse him. The Jews also joined in the charge, affirming that all these things were so. That was my slick lawyer voice when I was reading. I don't know if you picked up on that. That's the slick lawyer voice. Paul, in custody now, in a higher-ranking Roman official, Governor Felix, he's sitting there, and we get this like movie scene, this, this high-drama courtroom scene, where the prosecution is this crooked, slick lawyer, and he's seeking to put away this innocent man forever. I want you to understand that even when he makes those three charges he does in verse 5, what he's he's aiming to do is to carry out the same plan. They want Paul transferred from Caesarea back to Jerusalem. We know that because in the beginning of chapter 25, it says that in verse 3, their plan all along is to get Paul released so that these men can kill him on the way. So we've got this silver-tongued attorney, Tertullus. And he brings three specific charges against Paul. And I want you to follow closely with me through Paul's answer to each of these three charges. Look, first of all, in verse 11, chapter 24 and verse 11 through 13, Paul says, they said I was rioting and starting up riots. No one has seen me rioting. 
It's only been 12 days since I got there in the first place. You know what he's saying to Felix? It'd be easy enough to gather up everyone. And you won't find anyone who will say that I was doing what they said I was doing. And then secondly, he goes on to the second charge of Tertullus in verses 14 through 16, where where Tertullus said that he was the ringleader of the heresy. The sect. He's the ringleader of this, this group of former Jewish people who've now left the Jewish faith. And Paul says, we've not left the Jewish faith. I'm not leading some heresy here. In fact, everything I'm saying is perfectly consistent with their own Bible. And I am worshiping their God. And my preaching of Jesus is testified everywhere in their scriptures. And also... I believe the very same thing that they do, that God is giving us hope in the resurrection. So Paul's saying the opposite of what they're saying is true. And then the third charge, that he profaned the temple. Look in verses 18 through 21 where he says, no, I followed the law, their own law, to purify myself in the temple. What I want you to hear Paul stand up and say, and this is significant, is he's saying, Tertullus, the lawyer, the high priest Ananias, and all the Jews in verse 9 who are joining in and saying everything they're saying is true, they're all lying. They're all lying. It is possible to have a group of people who you should be able to trust. And they're passionately making these accusations of what's true and what's false. And when you, with time, find out what the truth is, it's exactly the opposite of what they've been saying. And that's what happens here. Can't stop the spread. But if you commit yourself to spreading the truth about Christ, you can be lied on. Look in verse 24, after Paul makes his defense and and the governor has then decided, I'm not going to do what you want, Tertullus. Paul is going to stay here until the tribune comes. And what I want you to see is as he's holding Paul longer, God's word is spreading. Look in verse 24. Festus, excuse me. Uh, After some days, Felix came with his wife, Drusilla, who was Jewish. And he sent for Paul and heard him speak about faith in Christ Jesus. And as he reasoned about righteousness and self-control in the coming judgment, Felix was alarmed and said, Go away for the present. When I get an opportunity, I will summon you. At the same time, he hoped that money would be given him by Paul. So he sent for him often and conversed with him. When two years had elapsed, Felix was succeeded by Portius Festus. And desiring to do the Jews a favor, Felix left Paul in prison. 
So Felix, uh, in, in these two years, he, when he's finishing up his term as governor, he is inviting Paul repeatedly to come and preach. You cannot stop the spread of this word when Jesus' strength is behind it. So Paul just keeps on having these opportunities to preach even to this Roman governor. And notice what the, the reason is for this. It is because Felix's wife is Jewish. That's what we're told. And so they, they together want to know, this Roman and this, his Jewish wife want to know more about the Jewish Christ, the, the Jewish Savior, the Jewish Messiah that Paul is preaching. She's wondering, and now he's wondering, will you tell us more about how to have faith in the one that at least my wife is supposed to have been waiting for all of her life? But notice what happens when Paul actually preaches to them. Felix, right when Paul gets a going in his sermon, says, well, would you look at the time? i got to go right now. I don't want to hear any more of this. And the text, in fact, says that he does this because he's alarmed. He's frightened by what Paul is saying. Why would that be? Well, let me give you a tip in studying your Bibles. Whenever you're reading in, in, in the Bible... And, and you're given all this, these details that seem like perhaps this is not important to the story. It probably is important to the story. So when all of a sudden Luke says he had a wife who was Jewish and her name is Drusilla and his name is Felix, it's probably indicating that you should understand who these people are. Certainly in Luke's day, they would have understood who these people are. Let me tell you about it. Felix is notoriously crooked. You can see that in verse 26 where he's calling Paul in there. He wants to hear about faith in Christ, but he also wants money from him. He wants this bribe to get him out of prison, which Paul will not pay. And then there's his wife, Drusilla, who is the daughter of a king who we met earlier in the book of Acts. It's Herod, who, who had killed James and who tried to kill Peter. And these two, Felix, the crooked, and Drusilla, they ended up getting married at uh, when she was 16 years old. It was her second marriage already. And Felix had come along and persuaded Drusilla to divorce her first husband. And, and now they've been married for a couple of years. And that's who Paul is preaching to. That's who's asking him, I want to know what it means to have faith in Christ. And then he preaches three things. In answer to their question, that ends up filling them with fear. Righteousness is the first thing. Self-control is the second thing. And the coming judgment is the third. Paul says to these two, do you want to know what it means to have faith in Christ? First of all, you must be righteous to enter heaven. The God of the Bible is not like any of the other gods in this world. He won't let you in on some good behavior after a life of bad behavior. You have to be perfect to be in His presence. You have to be absolutely righteous like Him. So if you want to know what it means to have faith in Christ, you need to trust in Christ alone to make you righteous. Jesus Christ 
lived that sinless and perfect life. And when He died on the cross, He did it in place of others. He was treated like a criminal because He was dying for those who were guilty before God. And when He was raised from the dead, Jesus then can give His righteousness to those He's taken their unrighteousness from. Jesus is righteous and the only people who will trust in Him and find themselves in His presence will be righteous. And that terrifies Felix. Because he's not ready to do that. He also just clarifies for these two people, one who is very greedy, the other who is very immoral. He clarifies for them that to have faith in Jesus Christ is to live a life of self-control. What that means is faith in Jesus must lead us to turn away from sin. Because if Jesus is the Christ and the King, we have to submit everything to Him. All of our desires that are off with what He wants for us, we have to put those aside and and follow Him. And so He turns to Felix and He says, you cannot be controlled by your lust over that teenage girl. You cannot be controlled any longer over your greed. If you want to know what faith in Christ is, you have to follow Him and let Him control you. I wonder, friend, what that means for you. We should all be thinking, what does this mean for me? To have faith in Christ means that He controls my life. And I need to turn away from some things that He says aren't good for me. But the third thing that Paul says that frightens Felix and and leads him to say, I don't want to hear any more right now, is about the coming judgment. You see, Jesus is coming to judge. And He's going to destroy everyone forever who did not trust Him now. This whole book is written to us, the book of Acts, because... Luke is trying to show this new Christian, Theophilus, why it is that God's promised people, the Jewish people, are not saved. So time after time, we get what we see in this passage. And that is, the reason they're not saved is they keep hearing the truth and they keep rejecting the truth. They keep opposing the truth in everything that they do. And so does Felix. He doesn't respond with faith. So if you're here and Jesus is not the king of your life, you, like Felix, should be warned. The gospel cannot be stopped because Jesus cannot be stopped. God is too strong for anyone to stop His Word. And that includes no one is going to stop Him from keeping His Word in judging sinners who didn't bow the knee when they could. No one will be able to stop Jesus from doing that then. So will you now, while you can, be wise 
and turn to this almighty king who will receive you in spite of your sins because he saves sinners. Would you trust him and then receive his forgiveness and receive his righteousness and receive life eternal from him and trust him to lead you as your king for the rest of your life. He will do a much better job than you will. He cannot be stopped. His will will be done. Will you be there with him? If you're like me, you're not all that satisfied with your current level. If you're a Christian, your current level of spreading the word. Are you here happy with how well you're doing spreading the word of Jesus? I'm a little disappointed in myself, I admit. I think I, maybe you have too, let challenges of, of sharing Christ in this town that is full of people who say they know Him, but don't even seem to care about Him. If you've let those challenges slow you from spreading the Word, if you're saddened by seeing so many churches not preaching the Gospel, I want you to hear this. You can't stop the spread. No one will be able to stop the spread of the gospel. Here, Paul has to stay alive in order to keep preaching the gospel, but he didn't stay alive forever. I mean, Paul died. And that didn't stop God from spreading his word. It just kept on going. God used Paul. But God never depended on Paul. Every Christian and every church needs to decide what we're going to do. Whether we are going to get in on this mission that God is putting all of His strength behind. God is too strong to need you. God is too strong to need me. God is too strong to need this church. But He can use us. God's commitment to spread His Word should stop every hesitation you have to speak up. God is the one who's committed to spreading His Word. That should stop every hesitation I have to speak up. And how often are we just too distracted with things that are far less important than this? That's what we fill our time with. Or how, what, may, maybe the, the reason we're hesitant to spread the word is because if we're honest, we just don't love lost people all that much. Or, or maybe the reason we're not willing to risk whatever it takes to spread the word is because we honestly don't desire Christ to be famous enough. We don't want people who aren't honoring Him to turn to Him and give Him all the praise that, they, that He deserves. Maybe our hesitation to spread the Word is because we're afraid of violent men or lying men and the costs that will come to us. Beloved, I want to encourage you to get in on what God is putting all His strength behind. There is no greater mission for us to live 
for. This is what Paul lived for. This is what Paul died for. There is no greater priority for you if you are a Christian than this work. That, that includes to whatever age you are. Children, if you mean to follow Christ, do so as a student. And understand that there's something more important that happens at school than you getting grades or getting friends. Do it on your teams. There's something more important than winning. Teachers at school, there's something more important than getting certain truths across. Vacation season is still on. Families, there's something more important than our fun and memories. We're still on mission then. Whatever you're doing, be faithful to Christ and this work in your home and in the community. And even here in the church, we need to spread the word to one another. We need to do it even if the people we're talking to are antagonistic against us or against the gospel. We need to do it to those who are stubborn in our life and who will not listen anymore. Paul kept on going back to Felix. We need to do it with those who are apathetic and don't seem to care to the doubting, but also to the faithful. We all need reminders of the truths of the gospel. The question is, what are you going to spend the strength that God has given you to do? Father in heaven, we pray that you would cause your word to go forth and be honored. That you would use all of your strength to send your word far and wide and you would be pleased, even though you don't need us. You're too strong for that. But that you would use us that we would give our life to nothing more than this, and certainly nothing less than this. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We're coming now to a time of responding to the truth of the gospel. It's called the Lord's Supper, where we are reminded in accordance with what Jesus has left for us, to be reminded constantly that not only has His body been broken for us on a cross and His his blood shed for us, but that He's coming back and He's coming for us and He's going to bring us out of this world of dangers and death and bring us to the world of life with Him. This is the way we remind each other of this wonderful truth. And so the men are going to come forward now and they're going to start passing out these elements. I want to encourage you, if you're not trusting in Christ and following in Christ, then let this meal pass by you. And I want you to instead to consider why it is you would resist this great king and use your time to turn to him. But if you are someone who is trusting in Christ, truly, I'm not saying perfectly, we all still have sin. This is a an encouragement to each one of us. Even when we have sinned, he died for my sins. And He's coming to get me. So take a few moments and reflect upon what you've heard and where we're going in Christ.
Jesus was about to be betrayed by one of his closest disciples. He was abandoned by all the rest. And knowing that that would happen, before he was betrayed, before he then died on the cross, he wanted to leave them with encouragement about what he was about to do. And he commanded them to keep on remembering what he was about to do. As they were eating on that night, Jesus took bread. And after blessing it, broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup. And when he had given thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink of it, all of you. For this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Lord Jesus, what kind of king owes nothing but judgment and then comes to take judgment on himself? What kind of king, in the face of betrayal and abandonment of his best followers, would be sure to remind them that he is about to die alone for them and would want us to remember even now, in the midst of all of our failings, that we who trust him He's coming back for us. And He's going to lift us up out of this world. Lord Jesus, we thank You for the Gospel. We thank You for Your death and Your resurrection. We thank You that every word You speak comes true. And we are waiting for You to come and get us. Would You come? And we pray this in Your name. Amen.